Hi and welcome to episode five. Is this of, five? Yeah, that reminds me of. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of. <laughs> of. Oh, that reminds me of. That reminds oh, wow. me that we need to get a better introduction to the show. <laughs> That's hilarious. One sec, I need to check that that, that, it, that it is five. For some reason, I feel like it's six. <gasps> episode six. It I think is. you're right. Welcome to episode six of That Reminds Me Of. <laughs> hey, guess what? Yes. I've got a fun fact for you, Kim. Please. We're up to, we have passed the threshold, that initial little blip, I guess, in the things huh. to do on a podcast. We have 100 downloads. I'm not sure we should be advertising that because that's not many downloads for episode Isn't it? six. I think it's cool. <laughs> I've got uh, no right, idea. You're right. It's not. But we are a fledgling podcast. We haven't done yeah. a lot of advertising or anything. Anyway, I'm hoping it's like the coronavirus curve that, you know, you get you get five, then you get 25, then you get 100, and the next figure will be I, I think it is that. I think that's what's going on Yeah, in a, in a way. It's not as okay. aggressive as the coronavirus. Well, I, all I can hope is that we get a second wave. A second wave. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, look, it'll give us something to look, at, look back on. Yeah, definitely. Know. In, in the future, in episodes seven, eight, and nine, when we're killing it, and we've got, you know, 10,000, we can look back to the good old Absolutely. days of episode Absolutely. six. So what have you been up to the last week, Doc? Uh, well, it's it's been three weeks, hasn't it, since been, the... Right, three weeks yeah. since the last step. We went a week yeah. over our usual two-week rotation. We we have, and that's probably a good, good way to just quickly segue before we chit-chat yeah. anymore. I think we should at least introduce the the film that we're we've we've watched, should we? Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's probably yeah, then we can continue idea. with the nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so this, what's this, what's three weeks? It's not a fortnight. Um, I don't know. This last three weeks, we have watched what? We have watched uh, the Five Bloods, Spike Lee's <laughs> latest film on Netflix. The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. Yes. <laughs> said, <laughs> said like the two whitest men <laughs> in the country. Struggling the struggling Str- so hard with that title. I know. <laughs> to make it sound right at all. Yeah. I think I've said it about 20 times trying to figure out how you possibly say this without sounding terribly white. Anyway. I don't think we embrace it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Yes, we watched that film. Um, I think one of the reasons why it's taken us three weeks, well, for me personally, is that I had a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around the film and the references and what to talk about. There's just, there's so much going on there and it's also so Spike Lee, this film, that it made Mm. me, I kind of struggled with it a little bit, like to think of references because Spike Lee is such his own reference. A little bit like we were talking about Michael Bay. Hmm some episodes back is in some ways similar in that, you know, you look at anything by him and you know, it's him instantly. And, uh, although you, he's clearly a much better filmmaker than Michael Bay, but yeah, most, most people are, no, I won't say that most people are better than Michael Bay. I know, I know you've got a soft spot and not really, you but know, I yeah. see the, I see the charm now that we looked into it, uh, <laughs> but I don't have the same history with Spike Lee. So I, I've seen precious little. Yeah. Cool. Stuff. And just like I got confused uh, between who are the other 
directors. What was the other one? Nineteen Seventeen. Oh so yeah, Sam, Sam, Sam Mendes. Raimi and Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes and Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah. I've always got confused between Spike Lee and Spike Jones. J- Johns oh, or Jones? Oh yeah, Johns. yeah. Well, yeah, Johns. Yeah, Johns. I think I think I think that's how you say it. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Not actually, con- not confused in a in a deep, no. you know, really, you know, shakily confused way, uh, but just because they're both Spikes, um, and I've never, never really bothered ridiculously getting to know Spike Lee and, you know, uh, the through line of his films or anything yeah. like that. So this was a good good opportunity. Interesting. Well, there's so much to take in with Spike Lee. He's been around for so long. There's so many know. titles. And some of them are like real classics and others you might have, you know, a lot of people might have missed. Um, the dude has a crazy, a crazy long career. He's very well, highly regarded and his... His style is is unique. There isn't mm. another like him, really. Well, that's for sure. Yeah, and he's in with he's in big time with Netflix now because he's done a few things there. So it seems that way anyway, which is good for him. Have you seen most of his stuff? Uh, I, I no, I haven't seen most of it, but I've seen the a biggies. good number of them. Yep, over the years, I haven't gone back and revisited them though. You know, these are films that I saw once. Yeah. when they came out and so I have, I have older memories of them. I, I reckon the only one I'd seen, this is embarrassing, you know, on a film podcast to to talk about how much you haven't seen. But, <laughs> Which um, we do every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know, real credibility. I know, uh, fresh, right? fresh eyes. Listen in, people. Listen in, people. Fresh, fresh eyes, here, listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd seen Inside Man yep. and uh, have a, a vague recollection of really liking it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. But um, I know it's one of his one of his best. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and beyond that, I look. I've probably seen one or two, but I I, I haven't seen Malcolm X, for example, which is just a trage- tragedy. Because mm. uh, I imagine I'd love it. One to see for sure. Well, he kind of has two. I think in my mind, Spike Lee has a couple types of films. Most of uh, them are. Yeah one type of film which is very Spike Lee yeah. um, and this is one of those films and then yes. there's, there's the occasional film like I would almost say Malcolm X but not quite um, but, but more like Inside Man or um, Old Boy remember we talked about the uh, the Korean film yes and you mentioned and it. he had done a cover of it or a remake yeah, uh, yeah it, I'd put that in the same basket as Inside Man and in that while those two films have Spike Lee moments in them, they they feel like more like Hollywood productions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas this is definitely leaning the other way. Well, it feels as if he's. I wouldn't say doesn't care anymore because in several ways he cares a whole lot more about, you know, life and issues. Yes. But and we'll get to this, but I'm not sure he cares as much about the rules of film. He's just doing whatever he damn well wants and having fun with it, and sometimes that's a bit loose around the edges, but he doesn't care. I agree. So he's just just um, freestyling it, uh, knowing the message he wants to get out there, and, and that'll do, guys. Yeah, yeah. And some of the things he does makes me frown and makes me uncomfortable because it's, it's filmmaking stuff that feels odd from my perspective anyway. Yeah. But then I know there's a lot of people that watch those moments and think that it's just really unique and fresh and, and great. So... Depends which angle you're coming from, I guess. Uh, yeah. Other things he does, 
See, I think it's. I think you're right. It's quite experimental. So there, so yeah. half of it feels right and works, and the other half feels off because he's trying new things, and some of them are really old things that he's done in almost all of his films. You know, so it's it's a it's a real mixed bag, and I think the craft is a little looser with Spike. Uh, what do you make of the? Uh, this is a Spike Lee joint, like just the the joint stuff. Like I I find <laughs> it it's informative to me. Like it, it says different to a film or a movie. This is uh, something with whether it's got rules unto itself. Yeah. Uh, don't judge it. Don't judge it like anything else. Just hey, sit back, relax, watch the thing. That's a cool way to look at it. I think that's exactly right. I think he's also done it forever. So it's yeah. now it's like his signature, right? Part of what he's saying there, and I, I'm, I'm sure he's talked about it before. I, I haven't heard it, him mm. talk about this topic, but. It seems like it's his way of saying you're coming to get something new. This is something that I do and only I do and it's not yeah, your yeah. regular film. It's not Hollywood. Yeah, I really like that. I like that too. I like that too. You know, this, so I guess the things that I love about Spike Lee are encapsulated in that and also the things that annoy me about Spike Lee are encapsulated in that as well. <laughs> like the things that, are, that seem overly Spike Lee and where I really yep. feel like the filmmakers stepping through, you know, the camera in and just saying, hey, guys, I'm here. This is Spike Lee doing this thing right now that you're watching. <laughs> he does that a lot and it, that bothers me a little bit. So I get, I know, some of it I love, some of it bothers me. Oh, there was a lot that I loved and a lot, uh, probably more that bothered me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it probably wasn't seeing Spike Lee jump into the frame every second because I didn't know enough about him to know what that looks like. Yeah. I suspect the things that I liked and loathed would probably both both be very spikely. <laughs> Great. Good. Well, mm. okay, so I've, it seemed like we're both feeling some of this film and other parts of it were a little bit off. Yes. Yep. Do we want to go synopsis? Like do we – Yeah. We, we could go around in circles on a lot of topics on this one. Um, we can. Maybe we should introduce what the film is. I agree. <laughs> it's probably my turn, isn't it? Yeah, look, last time I started and failed, so look, I'll, I'll bail you out if you <laughs> if I get stuck. It. But I'd much rather, I'd much rather <laughs> you finish it. Okay, <laughs> all right. So this is the this is my synopsis for the Five Bloods. So the film follows th- these uh, group of four friends, older gentlemen. I feel like they're in their sixties. Yeah, don't know they exactly, are. but that's about right. And they have come from the US. They're all African-American soldiers or black soldiers from that went through the Vietnam War. And they've returned to Vietnam because, for two reasons, one of them is their old friend who was the fifth member of the Five Bloods, Storm and Norman, died in a battle in Vietnam and his body was never recovered because they had to flee. And they want to go back with this special grant of some sort that sort of kind of go, here's a special thing you can do when, you, when you've left a body in Vietnam and it gets you access. Anyway, they've got this thing and they're going back to get the body and bring it back home to America. But, the, but I would suggest the real reason, even though the Storm and Norman part is definitely a big part of it, um, is that at, at the same time they'd buried a case full of bullion in <laughs> the jungle somewhere and they, they want to go back and claim that at the same time. Uh, and so these guys have spent years apart They've come back together. Maybe they've seen each other over the years, but it, this really feels like the first time that they've come back together as a group and they've all become quite different as older men. 
Uh, and then the surprise, one of the surprises is the um, the son of one of the men lobs in on them. So there's five of them again. And they start this ill-fated journey into the jungle to find the remains of their old friend and the bullion. And along the way, they um they they drag others into their tail and people get, you know, killed and murdered all because of um, the greed of gold, I suppose, or the desire for gold. That was lovely. And then it, it disintegrates into uh, <laughs> a lot of imagery and messages. And, <laughs> yeah, a kind uh, of action-adventure done by an indie New York filmmaker, which, by the way, is generally you don't choose the indie New York filmmaker to make your action-adventure films, but sometimes it works. Ah, okay. So he's a new he's he's New York, is he? Sparkly? Yeah, he is. You you want different people to produce films they're not meant to produce, I guess. That's true. Does that cover the main things? I didn't really get into the ending, but it, it's actually too messy to delve into the ending. To be honest, I don't really care what happens because right. I don't think Spike Lee cares what happens. <laughs> I think it's just it's a really cool a cool premise. Look, I'm going to go straight in and say up to half time, I loved it. Yeah, right. I loved it up to half time. Good. And then it, what happened? Yeah, then well I'll tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> no, no, first firstly I'll tell you the the moment that I loved it. It was when they're going through um, all that historical real footage at the start. Yeah. I found it really moving and and some of the the horrific scenes of, of war and the guy being shot and everything. And then Neil Armstrong, the moon. Do you remember seeing that? I can't remember like that. Like in, no. in the titles. And I just <gasps> laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> Everything to then was fairly serious messages and, you know, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, all these icons. And then Neil Armstrong, the moon. That just told me, okay, this guy can do anything in this film. He's going to mix it up. It can be comedic and serious and that little choice which seems very spikely but i didn't realize just just meant i loved it awesome but there was a point where it made a turn for you right where you started to lose confidence yes is that yeah. right so very specific point where i liked it very specific point where i lost confidence in it and that was when the the, the kid the the son needed to go to the toilet they're, they're looking for the gold <laughs> right um, yeah yeah <laughs> looking around for the gold so he gets a little shovel Walks, walks down, you know, 50 metres away, digs a hole, bingo, there's the gold. <laughs> I don't mind things being a bit unbelievable and crazy, but I just thought that is so ludicrous. And it wasn't, it wasn't played for humour enough to, for me to forgive it. If that was the case, yes. Yes. And you know what? That's actually a great way of summing up the, the way the plot goes with this film beyond that point. See, Spike Lee is great with messages. He's got messages. He's got things to say in, in, in his films. Yeah. And so often the plot is great too, right? But in this case, I feel like the plot of this film, it's like he went, well, we'll just make it an action-adventure film in a way and that doesn't matter. We'll just, just make it obvious, make those standard beats, lay them out, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill it with my messages, the important stuff. I don't really care too much about how we get to the end. That's kind of what it feels like, especially when you have moments like that, you know, that scene you're talking about. And they could have done that so many better ways, <laughs> you know. And from that point onwards, you're right, that sort of plotting continues. You know, that was the first of many shark jumps. I just got the feeling that he didn't care about the plot. He just wanted to get the message across, have yeah. some 
cool scenes. He'd worked out the scenes and how he wanted to to play them, and then it was just devices to move from one to the other. Yeah. Um, how do we get Delroy into the jungle so that yeah. he, can, he can do his soliloquy? Soliloquy. <laughs> his raving mad soliloquy through the jungle, which is clearly like that's what we were getting to, right? You know, we were getting yeah. to that that moment. Spike Lee was driving towards that. Yeah, I think that's the only one he thought through of the second half of the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fairness, in its own right, it's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah, it is. Um, it, is it is very cool. I, I I started off hating it for about a minute. I was like, "What is this?" Mm. And then I started loving it. And then by the end of it, I was one hundred percent sold. Like that is a cool, cool thing to do. Hey, I started off hating it too, and and I, I watched it back. And I noticed the soliloquy part was a gradual movement. His eye line was, was off the camera initially and he's just walking through and it gradually moved to, to barreling the camera and then stayed there and, and locked in. And, and at the end of it, he's talking, he's talking to you about, you know, how you're part of the problem, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, and it's such a spikely move to have the camera break, the, the uh, actor break the fourth wall and look mm-hmm. directly into the camera and speak to the audience. Like, that's a spikely thing. It's happened in a lot of films. But in this one, I think it was elevated. In one instance, I was like, oh, it's spikely doing that again. He's doing spikely again. And then a minute in, I'm like, no, wait, this is better. This is better than what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Uh, we've got a great actor in Delroy Lindo playing this part. He's got. He's sort of entered the madness of a few things, but the jungle is a big part of it. Mm. And um, he's he's sort of spewing forth all these ideas, and he sounds raving mad, but he's also speaking perfect sense, and it's it's just wonderful. Yeah, he's mad as a cut snake, isn't he? Though? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. And and that's the point. Like that's what it does to them, apparently. Mm-hmm. And you sort of you've you've hated him a little, you know how he's treated his son and what a an idiot he's he's been to the rest of them. Absolutely, um, and that's definitely one of the most interesting characters in the film. But well, are there are there any others? That way. No, the rest the rest do feel a little two dimensional next to him, uh, particularly the, yeah. Jean Reno, who's one of who's just such a classic actor. He just plays such a two dimensional bad guy in this. It's 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 a shame because you can do a lot more with a guy like that. Yeah, who 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 played the pigeon hole? Pigeon, sorry. Who played? <laughs> who played the, the pigeon what, toad? <laughs> who played the pigeon toad, um, mate? Um, great question. Yeah, that was um, Norm Lewis. Norm Lewis. Yeah, he was good enough. But the, I, I'm interested to know what you think of this scene being probably more into the art of gore and uh, and special effects and stuff. Yeah. When he was blown up, <laughs> uh, love or loathe? Well, it wasn't amazingly well done, and I can see you're smiling. It was almost comical, right? But at the same time, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you know what? That's terror. That that's over the top and ridiculous. But I think by that point, I'd stopped taking the film too seriously. Anyway, yeah. so I was able to roll with it. Is that another signal? Like, is the ludicrous ease that they found the gold mm. and the ludicrous look of him look of him when he's got his limbs blown off yeah are they just signals just like the moon to yeah. hey don't worry about it you know just watch and enjoy guys interesting I'm like I'm, I'm per- 
purposely meant to be. Like that's the only way I can yeah. kind of live with it. Because, I mean, did, did you see Black Klansman? I hadn't, but I've watched it since. You've watched it since. Much so that, better film to me. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a better film and even that one was a bit much, a bit spikely for me at times, but a much better film and it, I think it knows what, he knows what film he's making with that one. Yeah. You know, a lot better than he does with this. So the, the comedy plays as comedy. You know that's what you're meant to be doing. This mm. film, you're a bit confused the whole way. Well, I was anyway. I was confused. I, I, you know, is this an action-adventure film? Is it a Vietnam vet sort of drama? Is, is, is it comedy? Am I meant to be taking this seriously? You know, I just the whole way through, you just don't really know. And, I mean, that is a classic Spike Lee move to sort of switch it up on you. But I felt like it wasn't done with a sure hand this time, you know? Yeah, that said, so, yeah, I'd watched Five Bloods first and then thought, geez, I'm doing this podcast. I've got to have seen another Spike Lee film. <laughs> yeah. So I chose Black Klansman. Uh, Good choice and, as, a, as one of his most recent, definitely. Yeah, and like I said, I liked it a lot better, but it still it suffered from all the same things that I would critique the Bloods for. Yeah. Uh, but it, it actually made, it informed my reading of the of the Five Bloods. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to me, the Five Bloods. I can't even, <laughs> you can't I can't say, even it. say it. You can't say duh. <laughs> you just can't, can't do it. <laughs> Doctor of Literature cannot say duh. <laughs> and neither can I. No matter how I say it, doesn't doesn't sound right. There, there was a there was a scene in um in the Black Klansman that really made me think about this. You've got all the the idiot clan guys in their meeting, and the um the main character in that whatever his name is in Will, um, Black Klansman. Yeah, Will someone I can't remember. Like the name's quite important because yes, they both have the same name. Anyway, he's hired to be the personal security to David Duke. Um, and, and there's a scene where he is looking in on them through a window. All you see is, is, his, is his big afro. <laughs> so looking in on a clan, clan meeting, all they've got to do is look up and just look at him. It couldn't be more obvious or ridiculous. And I enjoyed it. So then I, I just thought, okay, this guy's just taking the mickey at pretty much every turn. And then I, I, I thought about Defy Bloods and... It just made me a bit, you know, a bit gentler on it. Like, okay, so it, it made you understand what it was a little more just to sort of go for the ride a little more than if you were coming at it cold. Yeah, I think it made me understand Spike Lee a bit more. Spike mm. Lee, uh, a better version of Spike Lee, I think, but yeah, still made me understand the movie and what he, what he does. And I, I think there are better versions of Spike Lee than Black Klansman as well, I think. Mm. He has some earlier films that are stronger, personally. Are they in the same mould, though? Because that's both Black Klansman and Five Bloods. They're similar in that they're mixing up current events and real footage mm. in with some corny narrative. Inside Man doesn't do that, does it? Or does no. it? Not really, no. Not that I can remember. I think he's going more this way. He's becoming more eccentric as, yep. he, as he gets older, it seems. What timing, though, to, to release both of them, but this one in particular, like it captures the mood. They're talking Oscars and everything, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's incredible timing. Talking about that, Oscars and just sort of critical reviews of this and so on, there's a lot of critics that are loving this film. Like they're giving it really, really high reviews. Audiences are a little colder to it. They're sort of coming along in the sort of 50 60% range in terms of how much they like it. 
critics are coming in at, like hot around 90, you know, just loving, loving every second of it. Mm. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I always find that interesting when you've got a film that critics love and audiences aren't fond of or vice versa, like the other way is even cooler. Yeah, I liked a lot about it, but I can't, I can't see how critics would love it. Yeah, this seems a bit, a bit silly. Sometimes I wonder, because you, you mentioned the timing, maybe that plays into it because we yeah. do always watch films within a certain setting and a time and right now this film has come out at just the perfect time for it. And, and the messages and the sentiment and all yeah. that are just on point. Yeah. And I think we all want to believe in it yes. deep down. You want, it, you want it to be great because you think a lot of it is so great and so appropriate to now. Yeah, that's right. If the rest of the filmmaking had been up to up to the scratch of the message, like yeah. <laughs> and parts of it, you know, like the message is perfect, it's beautiful. Parts of it are beautiful, like that soliloquy. Um, I, I, I quite like the casting. I don't think the casting is perfect, but I, I quite yeah. like it. If he just sort of pulled the tightened the story up, you know, it's quite long. Feels like it could have been shorter. If the action sequences had been up to the same standard as as what he was trying to get across in terms of message, could have been a knockout film. Could have been a sure win at the Oscars. I think. At the yeah. moment, I'm I'm dubious. There's every chance that it does well, just because they they want to shine a torch on on the message. Yes, I wouldn't blame anyone. It depends what else comes up in the year, I guess. Yes, true. Anyway, what did you like? What did you like about? Okay, uh, let's talk we, about what I like. A couple things I liked. So I gave the um, I gave the lighthouse a bit of crap for doing the whole four by three mm-hmm. ratio. I thought the one of the clever clever moves by Spike in this film was the shifting aspect ratio, depending on yeah. which time you were you were in and when and what you were looking at. He did a great job of that. I thought that was really great. Uh, on the flip side of that, I don't think he took full advantage of it. Yeah, you could have done more with it. It would have been could have made these transitions tighter, more interesting. But I thought that was a cool thing to have thought of for this. Um, I was thought, going to ask you about that given your comments on the last film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Yeah, well, so in this case I, it, it felt motivated and justified yeah. totally. My favourite segment in terms of the little pieces that were put together in this film, the, the segments were the um, Hanoi Hanna segments. I just loved it. Every second of every frame of those, I loved. Every frame of every second, <laughs> the other way around. Um, I just thought it was just such a beautiful thing to pepper through this film. Like, in, in, in a way, I wish that the other things he had peppered into the film were done mm-hmm. as well as that. You're talking about the radio chick. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the radio chick. I've since gone and YouTubed the real audio recordings of Hanoi Hannah, and it's uh, incredible. Really, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, does that does that come up as a reference in any of your your um, films later? No, it doesn't. Okay, because I I couldn't help but think of Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, I thought of that too. <laughs> definitely, definitely. This was the this was the the reverse, the flip yeah. side of that coin. Yeah, totally. I agree. That really gave it some structure and opened up the world, which he, he yes. did well, didn't he, to uh, really let you in to the American experience, the black American experience, the Vietnamese experience and all of the cauldron of stuff. It's complicated and he, he showed that it was complicated. Definitely, he did. And I'll talk a bit more about a bit more about that later because I have some things that I don't like so much about that as well. But yeah, yeah, and then the soliloquy that that long raving mad speech in the in the jungle that was a standout. 
Totally. How about you? Uh, same things, really. The 4 3 stuff I really liked as well, but I, I liked it for a different reason. In, in, or in addition to what you said, the fact that they use the the actors at their age now <laughs> in those scenes, I, I just thought was a masterstroke. I'm, I'm sure it's it's done initially done through uh, budget considerations of not being able to, you know, afford the de aging or whatever they call it. Yeah, but that was definitely a big part of it. I hear. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. But but what a ballsy move to go ahead and do it anyway, and what a great move. I totally agree. Yeah, because the whole point is that these men are still back there, especially Paul, the crazy one. Yeah. Um, the whole point is that they haven't haven't left their um, hero, Storm and Norman. They're still with him. They're still they haven't moved forward. So that just played just beautifully. I thought looking at him twice and thinking, hey, hang on, what's going on here? I just loved it. I totally agree. That that that's a great point. That is one of the things that I think is being referenced the most in terms of all the chatter about this film uh, really? is the fact that he used the actors at their current age in all the flashbacks. And I agree. What a cool idea. I mean, I'm sure if someone said that's going to cost you an extra million dollars or whatever the amount is, if you want to de-age all, f- all five of these guys or all four of them. And he just went, well, I don't have that money. I would love to. And then went, well, f- screw it. Why don't we just put them in the way they are? That's fine. If it, it, it feels so natural, but just to actually say, mm. yes, that's fine. We're going to do that. And actually, actually, it's kind of cool to do it that way. Why not? It's not just Great. kind of cool. Like, I think it would have been one of the ordinary things that I didn't like about the film had they played it straight. Right. Uh, and, and either had different actors playing them or de-aged them or whatever the term is. Like, that would have been too sophisticated for the film compared to some of the other bits. I agree. Like what he's done is true to what what he's done elsewhere and that's have a message to say and, you know, stuff all the filmmaking rules. Yeah, totally. And you know what? Like I don't know if you saw The Irishman, but what that de-aging really looks like, mm. it's not good enough yet. They're yeah. doing it when they're not ready. You know, they're going ahead with this thing and every human will look at those faces and feel <laughs> weird about them, right? Like there's something wrong. So it, that pulls you out of the experience straight away. I just don't think they should be doing it yet anyway. It's just not good enough. Yeah, I haven't had the patience to watch The Irishman yet. Um, <laughs> not in a particular hurry, but yeah. oh my I God. agree with you. All these, these tricks. No, no. I can, I can remember um, well, there's, been, there's been so many attempts, but I can remember Tron a, a number of years back yeah. when they de-aged, well, they sort of whatever, totally cg Jeff Bridges, it's just <laughs> terrible. It's so bad. And even though the technology's come so far since then, it's still not yeah. good, you know, it still doesn't work. It, it reminds me of, you know, the Star Wars series, you know, the, the Jabba the Hutt scene. Yeah. I, I don't know what the scene currently looks like. It's been through, I guess, so many variations. <laughs> yeah. But when they first redid that and you see Harrison Ford sort of awkwardly Maneuvering around this fake Jabba the Hutt. Can you picture that scene? Mm, yeah, you know, vaguely. I don't know if it still, maybe it still exists in the film. Yeah. But it just looks so contrived. They would just be better off with the initial Jabba puppet. Yeah. It's not going to age, age well, some of these. No. Some of these things. No, they'll have to redo it again in about five or ten years when they realise <laughs> yeah. that they screwed it up. And Star Wars isn't going anywhere, people. No. 
No. How, actually, that's interesting. I wonder how many times they'll redo the CG in, in those films over the years. They'll get to a point where it's as close to perfect as you can get, but films like that that aren't going anywhere, I have a feeling mm. they'll be remastered a bunch of times. It's Crazy. amazing what they can do. So what didn't you like, Kim? Or did you did you add any... No, you sort of finished up uh, with what you liked, right? Uh, Is there anything no, else? Well, no, there's another thing I liked. Um, this is just a small thing, but most of the things I liked were in the first first half. It really it grabbed me early and I loved it for, for a long time. But when they when they go into the, the club and they're all all dancing, I don't know why. <laughs> they're, they're moving towards the camera. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. in a line and all doing their, for no artistic reason other than it was a nicely framed shot. It was just a cool vibe. Plays and to the audience. Play, yeah, plays to the audience and, and yeah. they're just so having fun with it and that just made me made me happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, i got to say, I was also a fan of the son, Delroy's yeah. son, who the estranged son who comes on the trip. I thought he was a great, great actor and sort of one of the characters that felt very genuine. Mm. Uh, and I, I think some of the others were playing almost stereotypes, which was interesting. It didn't feel like there was a lot of depth there for some of the characters. Oh, there was no depth whatsoever. Yeah. Which I and thought was really strange for a Spike Lee film. I don't know. Yeah, I expect it, a bit more. It did seem odd and it, it made the Paul character seem a bit ridiculous at times because it, right. it was like uh, the characters were living in different worlds, you know, yeah. some were two-dimensional and one was just completely, you know, ten-dimensional. When they're interacting... It just didn't seem like they were meeting each other on the same level. Yeah, he, yeah, that's right. It was like all the effort was put into this one character. Mm. It was his vehicle in a way. What did you think about the whole Make America Great Again, Donald Trump loving aspect of his character? I liked it. Yeah, I, I didn't, don't have strong thoughts about it, but I think the whole thing about that character is, is the, the contradictions and the, the messed upness and that just added to it. I, I liked. I liked that it brought the current world in, so you felt like this is happening now. The whole MAGA nonsense is so impossible to understand. Part of you is just thinking, how how on earth is that possible? Um, and yet, it is. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think? Well, as a, as someone who doesn't live in the US, when a topic as shiny as that is brought up and mm. dangled in front of you, I kind of wanted a deeper dive into it. Yeah, but it, but but that's not what happened. We sort of got the whole, uh, you know, and he's a Trump supporter, and he's a bit crazy, and he's a bit wacky, and but we love him, some, you know, because he's one of the brothers. Mm. It, it almost felt like if you're going to go that way, we need to explore that a little bit further. Otherwise, leave it out. Maybe it felt like a distraction. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if you're trying to search for meaning in yep. the people that wear the red hats, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think you'll be looking for a long, long time. Um, yeah, it's true. And yet he turns out to be the deepest character in the film, though. There's sort of, in every other way, there's so much there going mm. on. Mm. Yeah, which I, I think that just helps the conversation of it being complicated. And maybe it's in part a statement of not being able to understand these people who are Trump supporters. Yeah. Who are regular people in every other way that you understand, you know, all yes. of their life issues you know, you can sort of understand how human they are and then inexplicably they're Trump supporters in the middle of all of that. Yeah, you know? that, 
that's a better analysis than mine was. There's nothing logical that would <laughs> cause him to be a Trump supporter other than being disenfranchised and feeling like an outsider and therefore embracing other things that are outside. Absolutely. I suppose. Yeah. And I mentioned Jean Renault earlier. It, it brings me on to another point. One of the things that bothered me about this film is... In one respect, I, I loved the attention, and this is every Spike Lee film ever, right? But I love the attention to the black men in this story and mm-hmm. and the, the, their, their issues in the world and, you know, what the injustices that are going on. And yet I felt some of the other characters, their backstory and who they were as people was almost entirely overlooked. Yeah. It felt really quite, it felt really quite odd. And, and most Spike Lee films... That's not an issue because it's set in America, in an American city. And so you can look at the black lives and the issues and and just look at them in that context. But when you lift them out of there and put them in Vietnam Mm. and you've got French people and you've got uh, Vietnamese people, most importantly, uh, who have suffered so greatly from this war and then just focus on the black lives and sort of skim over the other characters... I found I found that really hard to deal with as I was watching the film. I felt like it was so focused on these five, these four, or actually five men, mm. um, who have a, a very specific set of issues and in, that are currently happening right now and are very topical. But then there's these Vietnamese people all around them who are being treated, sort of being displayed in the film very kind of two dimensionally, and it just yeah. felt wrong. You know, I just thought, come on, you can't. You can't focus so so closely on one group of people in that context. It doesn't work. Except I'd say, as you, you said, most of the five are pretty shallowly developed anyway and I actually liked the fact that the Vietnamese angle and characters, yes, they were two-dimensional, but the, the messages were, let's not say complex, yeah. but it, it made you think about the internal politics of of thinking in Vietnam, like you think where they're going in the, along in the boat and the interactions with the, the guy trying to sell them the fruit. Mm. To me, there was quite a bit in that. In one sense, the Vietnamese guys almost hero-worshipping them and then it turns ugly, so there's obviously feelings underneath that and just feels like layers on both sides. Definitely. I thought that was the best of scene of, of all of them in terms of interaction with, like, the local people. Hang on one sec. How's Jessie doing? Jessie, yeah, Jessie's had a big couple of weeks, so she had a a scare with a little growth on her lip and she had to go into surgery and get it removed. Came out all good. So Good. Jessie lives on. Jessie lives, lives to fight another day. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see if um, the five bloods lives to fight another day. <laughs> anyway, I had a lot of trouble thinking of films that this reminded me of in a way because Spike Lee films are so distinctively Spike Lee mm. and, uh, and I don't like to generally talk about other films by the same director. I mean, we can do it, but they, they just seem a bit obvious, right? Yeah, I think they're better in the, in the first half of our yeah, show sure. format. So have you obeyed those rules? Those rules I have, that we've I have never obeyed set? those rules, yes. I've stayed away from Spike Lee films. Okay, cool. Well, I, yeah. I had the same same sort of trouble. I had no idea <laughs> what it reminded me of initially. I came up with a couple, though, and I'm good. super interested for, for yours. Excellent. Yes. All right, cool. Well, shall we move on to the next bit of the, the next part of this? 
Uh, do you need another drink? I do. Yeah, okay. Let's take let's... a quick break, top up. See you back in a couple minutes. So, we've, we've both refreshed. I actually went for a tea because I didn't <laughs> feel like another hard drink for the second half. So I've just got a tea. I've gone old school. And I have two Tim Tams double dipped, the double <laughs> thickness chocolate. You are hardcore. <laughs> How about you? Tim. Well, I haven't had a drink all June and now we're into July and I'm still, I'm still off it. I don't know why. It's so good. Really, it's become dry um, July. Yeah, it's just become dry July. I thought, well, I've done it for a month. Wouldn't it be cool to tell my friends that I was off it for two two months? <laughs> wow. Have you have you lost weight? Has something happened to your brain? What's, um, what's the deal? Yeah, I've lost a bit because I was very heavy little man, I reckon, about <laughs> five weeks ago. And I'm, I'm now back to about normal, which is still... Still a couple of kgs off, off where I'd like to be in my prime. Good, yeah, though. That's, that's good. I mean, that's one month in, right? It's a month in. So who knows yep. what another month will do to you? Yeah, come August, I'll be back on it with a vengeance, though, I can tell you. You sure? Yeah. Do you feel yep. any sort of mental clarity from not drinking at all or any other benefits? Uh, no, I reckon drinking is a wonderful thing. I think it's psychologically beneficial <laughs> to people. You like to do it at the end of the day, to unwind. Yeah, I think bit. it's nice. Yeah. So, like, you know, I'm not reliant on it and I don't really care, but I think there's a, a little bit of a um, emptiness is way too strong a word. But, um, <laughs> but, but you I know, want to I, see where this takes us, though. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, it's nice to, ha- nice to have a bit of devil in you, you know, and to have some bad habits. Here. Yes. Sorry, I shouldn't be saying that to the listeners, you know, might be struggling with, with, alcohol. with, with, with alcohol if they're dependent mm. on it. So that's, well, you don't want that. Yeah, um, but you're not. But you're not saying it has to be alcohol. It's just a thing, right? You're talking about having a thing that's a vice of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Or even not, not a giant burden, but just a, a little bit of a vice. It's a little thing. Yeah, whatever your little thrill mm. is. I agree. You got to be a bit naughty, right? Yeah. So that, you probably should never say naughty because that just sounds no. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yes, you got to be. You got to. You got to let loose a little bit somewhere. It's good yes. for your soul. So, who goes first? Well, I think. <laughs> Will you introduce? You, can you introduce our new approach to this? I think we did it last week. But okay. We're we're gonna not do as many films, yeah. That's right. In the second half of the episode, where we talk about the references that we're reminded of when we watched the film, we're gonna do two each. I'll do one. You do one. Back and forth. And then we might have some honourable met- mentions, some honourable mentions at the end that are films we th- we're not going to go into depth on, but we just thought you know are worth adding in things that we can films we considered. So you got to honourable mentions, like so we we struggled to get any, and then well, and then you actually got a. I do have I do have some this time. Films on the bench. Yes, I do. Okay, well, in that case, I think you might be better prepared. So maybe we start with you. Okay, so. And I, I think I've already said this. I found this hard. This was a hard film to think of references for. But I'm going to start with... A little bit obvious, but uh, I'm going to start with Three Kings. Uh, Three Kings. Okay. Yes. Do you remember that film? 
Uh, vaguely, I've seen it, but I don't really remember it. I nearly nearly chose it just because I remember the the basic the premise. premise. But please ex- explain. Well, it it very much like this film. It's about soldiers returning basically going off mission for, for greed, really. They want to take the some of the spoils of war for themselves and it goes terribly wrong. And really there isn't a lot more to it than that other than there's that sort of sense of soldiers who are a brotherhood of a kind, who are in a war they don't really care about at all, finding that there's some great treasures to be had and going off to chase them, really. And then it yep. all goes terribly wrong because... That's what happens when these sorts of films, when you follow that instinct, that greed to sort of personally enrich yourself. And and I guess the flip side of it too is that the action and those cinematic filmmaking part of it is done really well. Yeah. Where where I think this film falls short. It excelled. That was what it did best. And and wasn't it well regarded? It was well regarded. I can't actually remember how, how well it did in terms of awards, but yes. And the fans loved it as well. Like, it just did yeah. well all round. Look, I'd love to back and forth with you on that, but I can't remember it well enough. Who are the three? George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg and Ice Cube. No, sorry, no. <laughs> this reminds me of your confusion between thinking Bad Boys for Life was Bad Boys 4. Yeah. So <laughs> this one is it's called Three Kings, but it stars George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, Ice Cube and Spike Jones. <laughs> He's Speaking so of the devil. Cast- <laughs> as four American soldiers on a gold heist. So there's not three kings, there's four. That's classic. Why? But I think, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember, it's, it has been a little while for me as well. Mm. And they talk about gold bullion here too. Now, what struck me in your initial um, synopsis was the choice to use the word bullion, which I've, I don't think I've ever said in my life. <laughs> I would have just said gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you opted yeah. for bullion, and now I'm seeing it here on Wikipedia as well. Because that's what it is. Isn't that, what, isn't that what you call it when it's in little bars? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's correct. <laughs> it's just um, no one ever says it. <laughs> I'm going to collect some gold bullion. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No one says that ever. 1999. Anyway, 99. I think, Great I think that is a, a fair one to say, uh, even though I haven't really given you much on it i think it's a it's a good yeah a good reference one of the reasons we wanted to drop to two films each is so we could speak longer about each of the films and go a little bit more in depth mm. i actually don't have much more to add about this one honestly <laughs> like i think that just says it it says it it's just the premise is so similar yeah and that's about as far as that goes so over to me over to you kim my first one uh, look, I, I firstly don't think I have much to say about my references either, so I'm glad we probably went a bit long on the, the first half of the show. But The Five Bloods reminded me to watch a film that I've been meaning to watch for a long time uh, and the reference was so obvious that I just said, okay, you've been sitting on this for years, it's now time to watch Apocalypse Now. Boom. You've seen it? I have seen it. And it's your other reference. No, I almost put it as my other reference. And then I thought, I wonder if Doc's going to say that. And then I thought, oh, it's a good one. I'll keep it in my banks just in case, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Great. That's awesome. That definitely came through for me as well, man. Yeah, good. Well, it had Mm. to because one of my favourite scenes was, was the guys dancing in the Apocalypse Now bar 
So yes. yeah, he's he's not making any. Um, it's a reference for Spike as well. Yeah, Spike is is not holding this one close to his chest. He's trying to get it out there. Yeah, um, that's a great reference. So tell me what. Just give us the rundown on Apocalypse Now. Well, look, before I do, I think I sh- should just say that I hadn't seen it. So I had not seen Apocalypse Now and I, I loved, you know, 20 years ago when I read Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and for years Apocalypse Now has been showing at the Astor Theatre, you know, in St Kilda. Yeah. Which is just a beautiful theatre and I've so many times just booked in a date to go there and watch it on the big screen and it's just never happened. I've always wanted to be in just the right frame of mind because I, I thought I'd lo- love it and I've just never done it. So this was just perfect and I only finished it five minutes before <laughs> we started talking now. So good. You know, I've, I've been watching it this evening as well. Oh, you have? I have, yeah. Which version? Not the not like uh, Redux, right? That's the yeah. sort of remastered director's cut version of it, right? Mm. Um, I've just got the original cut on Google Play, so... That's what I was watching. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I downloaded Final Cut, not Final Cut mm. Pro, Apocalypse Now, Final Cut. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that? So is that similar to the to the cinema release? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know if it's the same as the, the Redux one that was hmm. going around for years. Yeah. But it, it looked beautiful. It's in 4K, I think. Awesome. And yeah. Re- really good. They've done a great job with it. Yeah. Remastering it for streaming. Apocalypse Now, just if anyone hasn't seen it, is the story of a soldier who gets a a mission to go and find this colonel that's gone crazy off in the jungle. The journey to get him and then when he gets there, it's his mission to, to kill him, basically. It's based on Joseph Conrad's novel, Heart of Darkness, but set in the Vietnam War. It's nothing like The Five Bloods, really, other than Vietnam, mission... <laughs> I guess you could you could say the the scenes with them in the boat are very reminiscent going down the river in in the bloods. Yes, uh, that's the main premise of Apocalypse Now. But just just the bloody look of of this film and the the soundtrack and the the craziness you just get a little peek of that in the Paul character in Five Bloods. All the insanity of Apocalypse Now is is just a scene in in the one character in in the bloods. Totally. What did you think of it? You were going to mention it. So, like, top three, this was definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, if I hadn't been wondering if you were going to lead with it, I would have maybe just chucked it straight in there. There's a lot about it, though, that I like just re- re-watching it mm. today. There's a lot about Apocalypse Now that I just like better. Honestly, it's just such a good film. Yeah. You just go, oh, man, what a, what a great piece of filmmaking. Um, yeah. If anything, watching it after The Five Bloods made me feel less confident about The Five Bloods in terms of it being a film that's just going to stand up to time. Mm. Well, it's not going to It's not going to stand up to time. It's not, exactly. Like and so as much as you, you can go, yeah, it's it's a film of the times and it, it's done well, it's just not a great piece of cinema when you compare it to something like Apocalypse Now, which is just still mm. an awesome film to watch and still so has so many amazing ideas in it. You know, like every frame of that film, you're looking at it going, oh, wow, that's great. I mean, it has the same thing that we were talking about in um, 1917 where where you get the whole mission laid out in the first 10 pages of the script, I imagine. You've got Martin Sheen's character just going crazy 
in the yeah. hotel room and then the next scene he's trying to act straight and he's getting given this um here's the mission crazy mm. spiel about like we, we want you to go and basically assassinate this this guy it's yeah. it's you know it's full on so well done but have you ever seen a, a depiction of of war done in such a crazy way mm, no it's just berserk all through like you know they're surfing the, the robert duvall character is is crazy the dennis hopper character's crazy it, it's all just insane i feel spike was wanting to get a bit insane sometimes you know when you compare them the insanity is just not on the same level you're right yeah totally Definitely. there's also the the french French connection, not the film, but the scene involving the French landowners was not in the original and then it was put in to the, the final cut or the director's cut or whatever. Oh, really? The, yeah. the the middle act included about half an hour of them going to a bunch of French folks who, you know, have a plantation or something there. They've been there for mm. years and the, the whole thing slows down and I think it was removed initially, but Spike Lee has clearly referenced that in yeah. the, the French characters in the other film and yep. talking about them wanting to sort of make amends pretty much, isn't it, of how their forefathers have kind of exploited the situation. Yep. Definitely. Cool reference, man. It's such a it's such a great film. Yeah, I think it's an and, obvious and, one, but we had to mention it. Um, and now I've watched it, so I'm happy. That, that's what this show's all about. I love it. All right, well, back to me then, I suppose. All right, well, this one's a little obscure, I, su- I would say, but I was I thought about it a lot while we were watching this film. In particular, I thought about it in the second half when Delroy's character goes off the deep end. In the bad half. In the bad half, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and that is the beach. Oh, that's that's a pretty good reference. Keep keep talking. Yeah, so the beach is um, a lot of people bag it. I actually really mm. like it, and I really like the book as well. Yeah. It's a Danny Boyle film. Uh, who's a director that I also love, and Alex Garland uh, uh, wrote the film and the book, uh, mm. and he's a, a writer and now director that I love as well. Um, this is probably the one that they look back on perhaps a little with a little bit of embarrassment. I don't know. I personally think it's a great film. Uh, mm. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it, and it essentially he's a backpacker who's pretty narcissistic and just out for himself, uh, ends up in Thailand, and hears tale of a beach, a secluded little beach on an island that's beautiful, like the perfect paradise, which is what everyone's looking for when they go backpacking and mm. on those islands, right? And uh, he ends up finding it, but along with it, it, there's a little community of people who are very secretive and protective of their beach because they feel like they've got paradise and they don't want to let just anybody in. And nearby, they're a drug plantation of some sort, like mm. they're growing weed. And the people running that tolerate the backpackers that have settled on this beach, but they're sort of just barely tolerating each other. <laughs> and then Leo's character comes in and <laughs> ruins everything. And uh, next thing you know, um, he's getting booted out of the, the group and he goes to war with the drug dealers and it just goes all wacky from there. But the bits that really reminded me of this was Leo goes kind of insane in the, in the, in the jungle. Mm. And uh, the whole Delroy section where he's just gone crazy and, and you've got this very sort of distorted first person, like fourth wall breaking um, yeah. 
it's like a wide angle lens. So his head's all big in the frame. That whole segment really reminded me of the beach a lot. Uh, and the other aspect of it was the greed factor. Yeah. You know, like the thing that topples everything in both of these films is, is greed. So I thought wouldn't be the, an obvious one for everyone, but it, I, I could, that's one I didn't stop thinking about. I think that's just a brilliant one in both. They've got this destination, the other side of the hill, where it's the, the grass is greener on. That alone is a, is a similar setup, isn't it? Now that you mention it and I'm thinking about it, they're um, in both films they're trespassers in a way. Yeah. You know, they're trespassing yeah. and the locals aren't being taken into account very very much, dismissed. Did, did, um, did Leo find the beach as easily as the, uh, the bloods found the bullion? <laughs> uh, he was sort of no, not, not quite as easily. It's it's a more believable search. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And they they, they and, and he's falling in love along the way, and they have a long swim. And I don't think any of them know what they're looking, what they're going to find. Yeah. That's the other element to it. No, I think in some ways it's a classier film. Um, it's done. Those things aren't aren't as sort of slapped together. Well, they're both searching for a state of mind, aren't they? Like it's it's almost yes. an abstract thing. It's not really the beach, and it's not the gold. It's it's a, a state of mind. And, Great point. And in both, that search for something that's going to solve all your problems is is not as simple as you think, and it sends them around the twist. Absolutely. Great point. The end of both of those films is kind of sad. It's, it's a tragedy in a way. In both, they've lost so much. Just in mentioning, I can't stop talking about how ludicrously easy it was to find that gold. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned that to Wendy, who didn't watch the film with me, but I, I just mentioned that silliness. And she likened it to uh, the MacGuffin, the Hitchcockian type stuff. You know, maybe Spike is not trying to make this believable or realistic. It's simply, as you said before, it's just a device to go yep. from one thing to to the other. And if you just give it credit for being that and don't get too serious about it like I got on first viewing, then perhaps you can forgive it and just say, okay, we all know that we needed to get there. Yeah. So let's not dilly-dally. Let's just get there and let them play play the next scene out. You know, we don't, yeah, have, okay. to, we don't have to watch the whole journey there. Let's just... Um, yeah, that's an know, argument for it. Cut to. Totally. I feel like that's a discussion he that Spike could have had. Like yeah. that's why I want to just do this. I want it to be the standard formula. I want it to be formulaic in one way. It's a sort of action adventure, almost a heist film. Yeah. And it's going to hit those beats. And yep. because of that, people know what they're getting on that level and they can focus on the message. Yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah, he just wants to hit those beats. He doesn't care, care about the rests in between. That's a good one. I think that's winning so far, the beach. That's, yeah, cool. Uh, I feel like the first two for both of us were almost ones that we had, had to yeah. mention. And probably not much thematically to talk about between them and the, the film. They just had, yeah. had to be mentioned. You know, I think what we were both looking for, uh, and I haven't heard your second mm. reference yet, so maybe I should wait for this, but I feel like we've, we've both been looking for the film that would hit all of those beats yeah. with the group of five and the message, and that's, that's a little harder to get. Don't speak too soon. Maybe. We're not maybe. done here. Let's do your next one. Let's hear it. The Five Bloods reminded me of Grown Ups, <laughs> which is also on Netflix. Grown Ups. <laughs> uh, starring Remind Adam Sandler. Me. 
yes. and his usual <laughs> cast of guys that he's always in the films with. Um, oh, that's hilarious, dude. I know where you're going with it, I think, and I love it. <laughs> Let me just quickly yeah. sorry, tell me about it. Tell me about well, look, Grown Ups. Grown Ups is not precisely my kind of film. It's an Adam Sandler film. It looks as though him and his mates have just gone out to, you know, churn out another one with the same uh, same sort of plot. So you've got, I don't know how many guys. Are there five? There might be five. I think you might be right. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's five guys they knew each other from school when they were 12 or something and they won a basketball game. It was the biggest moment of their life and their coach was their their hero back then. Fast forward 20, 30 years or something and, you know, they're all older and they hear that the coach has died. So they arrange to get back together in honour of the coach to go to his funeral and scatter his ashes and, and do all that sort of stuff. So just on that you've got a pretty similar start of the band getting back together because of the hero worship of one one dude. Genius. That's pretty genius, yeah. That's pretty great, man. So, I, think uh, you, I think you might have it. I think Keep Spike going. Lee is clearly <laughs> referencing grown-ups. <laughs> yes, that's so good. But it I doesn't end it. there for me. Okay, keep going. That's the plot similarities. But what really, really resonated was the fact that these two films are pretty crappy films in the same way. (laughs) 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 The bits I didn't like about The Bloods anyway. Because the whole thing of five friends coming together and all the banter and the in-jokes and all that stuff, yeah, I just felt was pretty awkward in both. Yeah, I can remember that in Growing Ups as well, feeling like it... Oh, just to be I'm not cringy. laughing much here. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Apart from the first first scene in, in Bloods when they, they initially meet up, I thought it was a bit awkward, but I was running with it, so I quite liked it. In Grown Ups, it just always felt awkward. There were funny moments. It's not a terrible film. It's harmless, but there's too many times when it just seems forced and you know from your own life the sort of banter that you would be having with your schoolmates and even with them years after. And it's just it just didn't feel natural to me in, in mm, either movie. Yeah. Although fantastic. Although yes. that said, I guess there is an element of of these reunions after some time being a bit awkward, and maybe yes. both films capture that a little bit in that people have changed and the the jokes don't quite land, you know, on the same levels. It's interesting, isn't it? Because with both of these groups of actors, you feel like they should all they should be able to bond together in these scenes and seem like old pals without mm. any awkwardness. You would think that would be a natural thing that all of them could just do. Yeah. In both films that doesn't work. I don't know. Is that a choice? I don't I don't know if it is, but I think maybe maybe it's embraced by the directors on some level. I don't know. It's a great question. Or it could just be that they don't spend enough time thinking about it and <laughs> working <laughs> on it and they just go, you know what, let's just put chuck these five heavy hitters together, it's going to be fine. Yeah. What I reckon it is is that it's hard. It's hard to do. Like I mm. I couldn't help but think about the writers. I remember I've tried to write scenes like that myself where yeah. you've got a bunch of people in the scene and you're trying to make all the the personality shine through and for everyone to to really shine and for you to understand what motivates them. Like you said before that that was what was missing in Five Bloods because, you know, one character is very well-rounded 
and the rest of them are shallow. But I just think it's a it's a very difficult thing to do when you've got so little space to work with for each of them to to, to really get the characters across. Yeah, especially when it's all about interpersonal relationships in that group of five. Like you can't split them up so easily like you might on a film, you know, like uh, Aliens or something like that where you've got a lot yeah. of characters and some of them you can just ignore a bit and you can split them up and yeah. focus on two at a time. And You know, when you've got a group of five and they're in every scene together, it becomes difficult, right? Yeah. To, to make it really have the depth that it sh- that should have, You've got to know how each of them interact, don't you? And yes, and how how they change in the group dynamic. Yeah, and I suppose uh, that's how they do it, though, right? They they do kind of split them up throughout the film mm-hmm. into little moments of you know one on one, but to make the whole thing feel rounded and like each character's had its moment is tough, definitely. Yeah. So that's what I took away. Neither of them were all that well done, but that it's tough, and I I, I wouldn't be too hard on the filmmakers in either in either one. Yeah, interesting. So do you find that you, when people are making films at this level and they're getting the, they're getting the budgets and the recognition and the actors, and mm. do you let them off for those sorts of things or do you think they should be doing better? I think they should be doing better. It, it depends. Like you can tell with a film what it's where it's aiming, can't you? Like yeah. is it a, an apocalypse now or is it a grown-ups? And <laughs> now with grown-ups, I kind of forgive it completely. Like they've got Steve Buscemi in there doing all these visual gags and that's yeah. enough to make me watch it, you know. Yeah. And it's Adam Sandler. You know what you're going to get. Yeah, you know what you're going to get. It's pretty until, cool. Until you see him in Uncut Gems and then you don't know what's happened <laughs> and why he isn't like that in every film is as awesome as that. <laughs> have, we, I mean? have we talked about Uncut Gems? We haven't. No, we haven't. Hmm. Yeah. Why? Save it for another day. Another day, yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, it'll end up being a reference. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, shut up. I think we've done grown-ups. I've, I've, yeah. out, I've outgrown it. I, you've outgrown it, but I love the reference. I love I love so much of that. It's great. <laughs> Perfect. So you, have you got some bonus ones? Well, I was going to say for the things that line up mm. sort of plot-wise and set-up-wise, but also for the things that they, that they both filmmakers got kind of wrong with it. I yeah. think that's great. So I don't really so the bonus ones I have aren't really all mine, but Apocalypse <laughs> Now was the main one, right? That was yeah. and you've already spoken about that. Um, but I I was looking around at different reviews and so on, and I had a couple there were a couple mentioned that I haven't seen. Yeah. And so I just thought I would write them down and throw them in there and see if you've seen them. But they came up a couple of times. Dead Presidents. No. Was one. <laughs> and the other one was um Treasure of the Sierra Madre. No. <laughs> Haven't seen that either. Yeah. No. Uh, so I had a quick look at trailers and I thought they both looked like interesting films and I just thought I'll chuck, write them down and see if maybe you'd seen them because they, they, they came up a couple times in different reviews and they both seem like films worth watching. So maybe we can add that to the list, the ever-growing list. We've got to do that show that we were talking about where we um, mm. actually watch the ones that we've been impressed with the reference. Absolutely. And it's on our I think list. I think we need to do that next. Next? Yeah, I feel like we should do it next. Okay. There's, there's a lot of great films starting to come out now, so mm. there's no shortage of those, but I reckon we should jump onto some homework. I feel like if we do it every five or six episodes, then we won't let it get out of hand. It's already out of hand, isn't it? We've yeah, We've got six is. episodes worth of references. Yeah. It's already going to be hard to choose three each, but yeah. I reckon we should do it. Okay, it's a deal. All right. I, I did want to make an honourable mention to yes. 
to Jojo Rabbit again, which was our first episode. Yeah, uh, episode one, Jojo Rabbit for this uh, film. No, Five Bloods didn't remind me of it. But <laughs> I've I've just come off watching Apocalypse Now, yeah. and it reminded me of Jojo Rabbit, which is wrong way around chronologically, but. The <laughs> towards the end of, of Jojo where you get into the, the, the actual war scenes and it just gets all crazy with just things happening everywhere that aren't really yes. war-y. That just was very similar sort of feel to Apocalypse Now when it's just an all-in acid trip version <laughs> of war. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And that's a nice callback to episode one. Wow. Yeah, worth a mention. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like we've sort of done the film. Any final thoughts about The Five Bloods? No thoughts about The Five Bloods other than it's excellent and awful in equal measure. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really given me an interest in Spike Lee. There's enough in it and enough in Black Klansman too for me Mm. to really want to explore his stuff. I always want to see every Spike Lee film that comes out. I don't always enjoy them. I don't think I've liked these last two all that much. I thought Black Klansman was great, but then there were other parts of it that really sort of irked me about it or I just yeah. didn't enjoy, you know. Not not irked, just didn't enjoy. There were just bits of it I just didn't like that much. And I, and I, I get that sense with a lot of his recent filmmaking that he's taking risks and he's also not taking risks in some ways, like doing things that he's always done. Mm. And some of it works and some of it doesn't yeah. for me. Well, the thing in Black Klansman, sorry to run this long, but it was it took took something from the Michael Bay playbook. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> wow, I cannot wait to hear this. It, so the most ridiculous thing for me in the initial Bad Boys yeah. was the setup that the one guy was talking on the phone pretending to be someone else. Right. Um, what's his name? You, you say, what's his name again? The... Um, Mark Lowry. Mark Lowry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So one guy pretending to be the other and it was such an absolute nonsensical um, (laughs) thing. And then then, lo and behold, Spike Lee does virtually the same thing. There is absolutely no reason why the black cop should be talking to to the Klan's people pretending to be the, the white guy. That's great. And and then the white guy goes, is, is the one that faces them. What's his name, the actor? He's brilliant. Um, Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Why not yeah. just have Adam Driver do the whole just thing? Do the whole thing. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. Um, oh, it's great. That's great. But Spike Lee doesn't care. That's as simple as that. Yeah, because it's, it's funnier this way. It's more of a thing. I love it. That's cool. Final well, thoughts from you? No, I haven't got any more to add. I think we've said it all. Okay. Other than, uh, I, like I've said already, I enjoyed parts of it, others I didn't. I think it's still worthy of watching and on the, the whole, a good film. Yeah. And great, great that you can get it on Netflix, that it's just been released straight onto Netflix. That's that's actually kind of a bonus, I think. That is at cool. At this time. Yeah. Well, on that note, so next time a home, homework episode, do you think? I reckon we should do it, yeah. So there's a couple great films that are coming out that I mm. would like to do next um but i think we owe it to ourselves to do a homework episode okay and keep so, that regular so three each yeah uh, that three the each. other has has um introduced us to yes okay absolutely can't wait to hear the ones you pick so we'll keep it a surprise <laughs> talk about it yeah next time. too many choices let's wrap it up there doc that's an 
another good episode down and I'll talk to you next time. Yep, I'll see you at episode seven.